Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Welcome. My name is Caroline Moasasi, and I'm FACT's Roundtable podcast host. I'm honored to take on this role with FACT, as I'm also a passionate allergy and asthma advocate on the national and international level, a parent of children with food allergies, and the founder of GratefulFoodie.com. We will be discussing the new Acute at Home Management of Anaphylaxis during the COVID-19 pandemic article with Dr. Dave Stuckus, who will help us better understand the new recommendations. Dave Stuckus is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics in the Division of Allergy and Immunology at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, where he serves as the Director of the Food Allergy Treatment Center. Dr. Stuckus is heavily involved in professional organizations and serves as the social media editor for the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. He uses social media through his professional account on Twitter and Instagram, at AllergyKidsDoc, to disseminate evidence-based information and combat misinformation found online. Welcome, Dr. Stuckus. We're very pleased to have you here today. Should we call you Dr. Dave or Dr. Stuckus? You can call me whatever you'd like. Uh, <laughs> Dave is, <laughs> Dave is fine. Yeah, Dave is fine. Uh, David, if I'm in trouble, Dr. Dave. But no, Dr. Stukas is uh, a little too formal for my taste. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go with Dr. Dave then because you're not in trouble. So it won't be Dr. David. <laughs> We're going to jump right in. Recently, the acute at home management of anaphylaxis during the COVID-19 pandemic article was published, and it's caused quite a stir in the food allergy community. Can you help clarify why these suggestions were created and then review the highlights with us? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this document slash editorial, it's not based on any, you know, uh, clinical trials or research studies or anything like that. But what it does is it addresses a way to manage anaphylaxis and conditions that put people at risk for anaphylaxis, like food allergy, drug allergy, latex allergy, mast cell disorders, things like that. It highlights the importance of managing these on an individualized basis. And um, we've known for really years that, especially with food allergies, it's not one size fits all. Um, It really never was. It's a difficult thing to communicate on on a mass level, though. So when you give education to the general public, there's a few tried and true things that really hold for everybody with anaphylaxis. First and foremost, epinephrine is the only treatment that's going to effectively treat anaphylaxis. Epinephrine first, epinephrine fast. Other than that, there's a lot of wiggle room when it comes to how we manage anaphylaxis, risk factors for anaphylaxis, what do we do after we administer epinephrine and things along those lines. So what this article does is it really frames it in a, in a wonderful light of saying, listen, it's not one size fits all. Our world has fundamentally changed for the time being. Hopefully it's not long term. We now have real risk if we go to the emergency room if we don't need to go to the emergency room because we could be exposing ourselves or our loved ones to this terrible um, virus that can cause people to get very sick. So 
This is a path where you can have an individualized conversation with your personal allergist. They're not telling everybody to do this. They're saying there's a path here that we can change some of the things that were sort of promoted on a wide scale basis previously. Have the individual conversation, talk through these different key points that they outline in the document, really try to get to a good understanding of real risk versus perceived risk, and figure out what works best for each person. Uh, and there's a lot of variability and nuance when it comes to that. Well, thank you for really clarifying too. Uh, I like that point you made about one size doesn't fit all. That is so true with dealing with anaphylaxis and also that emphasis of reaching out to your physician and having that very individual conversation. And so just based on that too, in the article, it mentions that the decision-making process should be based on uh, local resources. So what does that mean exactly? Well, you know, this pandemic has highlighted um, the huge discrepancies in availability of care, as well as just the way this impacts each and every one of us. I live in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, the situation we've dealt with in my community and at my you know, major pediatric academic institution is nowhere near what they're dealing with in New York City. Um, so the advice that we'd give to somebody in Columbus may differ greatly from that that somebody lives in Manhattan. Um, whereas in Manhattan, we'd, we may say, we want to do everything we possibly can to make sure that we keep you at home and we don't want you to go out because your risk of you know, contracting COVID-19 and getting sick from it is you know, that much higher than somebody who lives in Ohio or Montana or somewhere, somewhere else. So I think what that statement highlights is that this is a fluid, sort of ever-changing, evolving situation. Uh, resources may change. If you live near an emergency room that is flooded with patients, um, it's probably not in your best interest to go there uh, unless you absolutely have to. Uh, on the flip side, if you live somewhere where there are no patients at all and you know, you'll be the only one in the emergency room, that's a different situation. So I think that's what they're trying to describe with that. Now, how can a patient find out if they do have a busy emergency room near them or not? Where I'm situated, I'm basically in between three hospitals. So how would I know which one's the busy one and which one's not? I, I think you talk to your doctor. And, you know, we're all still working. A lot of us are working remotely. I'm seeing patients through telemedicine, which is an extremely um, valuable way of seeing in patients and still providing high-level care during these times where we can't see them in the office. Um, so call your doctor. And that's another thing that is, it's a key point of this document and this, these suggestions. This should be a conversation that takes place at a time when things are calm. This is all about preparedness. This is not a conversation that should take place in the moment after you accidentally eat something you're allergic to and you start to have anaphylaxis or you're stung by a bee and you just gave epi. This is something that people should be talking about with their allergists now and say, what's the situation locally? How does this pertain to me? Should I make any changes to my current plan? How can I sort of uh, understand this information? Do I need to change anything at all? Thank you for clarifying that you know, prevention is really the key here with understanding this article and then understanding how to go forward. Now, back to the article, there is a recommendation about laying down with legs elevated near the doorway. Should patients follow this protocol post-pandemic? Yeah, you know, that's a, it's an interesting statement, and I'll try to explain what I think they're getting at with the full understanding that I was not involved in this article at all. So I, I believe what they're trying to do is help people be in a safe place in case they are on their own and they do have to call for emergency medical services and say somebody shows up and they have passed out. So we're talking about worst of the worst situation here. 
if we, we recommend lying down because you know you can pass out during anaphylaxis. It's a rare occurrence, but it certainly can happen. If you're standing upright and you pass out, you're going to hit your head and you're going to cause even more problems. So we can prevent you know things like cracked skulls and brain bleeds by taking our time to lie down. Uh, we always want to be sitting or lying when we administer epinephrine anyways. And that recommendation on their action plan that they sort of edited for this, I believe was put in place to address those people that may have to wait by themselves, sort of in that worst case scenario of, I've given myself epinephrine, I need to lie down, put myself in a safe place by the doorway. That way, if I'm by myself and passed out, then when somebody arrives, they're going to see me there and they don't have to go searching throughout the house or I haven't fallen down the stairs or hit my head or anything like that. So whether that should be in place post-pandemic, I don't think to that extreme nature. And again, this really is sort of a worst of the worst situation that they're trying to prepare people for. But the advice of take, your, take a deep breath, you have time, you can sit down, you can you know roll down your pant leg if you have time to do that. You can go over your pants if you need to or if you decide that you want to do that. But be seated when you administer the epinephrine or lie down, um, especially immediately afterwards, and take a moment to sort of collect yourself and rest. And that's a really important take-home message, regardless of when we treat anaphylaxis or where. Thank you. That really adds a lot of clarity, and I think that gives our listeners quite a few good tips. So now the article suggests using one dose of epinephrine followed by a second dose within five minutes if there's no improvement. If there is improvement after the second dose, the article suggests the patient should be monitored four to six hours. But if I only have two doses and I just used both, now I don't have any doses in case of a biphasic reaction. Therefore, what should be the next step if two doses have been used? Yeah. It, and again, keep in mind, these are just suggestions and, and talking points for people to consider. But what they're trying to highlight here is really it's unpacking a whole lot of things. There is a huge misconception that anaphylaxis equals death. There's also a huge misconception that anaphylaxis means all of the sudden, out of nowhere, my throat's going to swell shut and I'm going to pass out and then I could die. In fact, anaphylaxis in reality is really a spectrum of severities. There's mild, moderate, or severe presentations. The most common presentation for anaphylaxis, especially from things that are ingested, would be hives and, and itching, maybe swelling and vomiting. That's the most likely scenario when you have the combination of symptoms. And oftentimes people feel much better after they throw up once. So when you take somebody who's having anaphylaxis, we don't know which way it's going to progress because we don't have a great way of knowing uh, who's gonna go from the mo more mild hives and vomiting to having difficulty breathing and they actually need additional services, especially in those first few moments. So that's why we want everybody who's experiencing anaphylaxis to use their epinephrine early, as early as they recognize it. Um, the downside of using epinephrine is virtually non-existent. It works fast. It treats all of the symptoms associated with anaphylaxis. It actually helps close up the allergy cells that are releasing the mediators that are causing symptoms. It circulates very quickly, and the dose that's given in an auto-injector is very safe to give. It's not like in Pulp Fiction, it's not going to make your heart stop or anything like that. So the message should always be very clear, regardless of the cause or what your symptoms are, use your epinephrine. Then, now take a deep breath. Let's see how things are going. It's really important for the listeners to understand that the natural resolution of anaphylaxis takes time. You can do all the right things, and it still may take several hours before the symptoms to completely resolve. And typically what that looks like is, I don't feel that great, partly because you just injected adrenaline, so you feel a little jittery, partly because you're having a 
a severe allergic reaction, but it may take a while for the skin symptoms to fully resolve as well, or they may sort of morph over time. What starts as a few hives then turn into scattered hives, or you turn into one giant hive, but you know, it's still the skin is one organ that's being involved. So we have some time to kind of see which way it's going. That being said, we can also know that when things aren't responding well or they are progressing, so you give the epinephrine, regardless of what the symptoms were, and then after the first five minutes or so, things start to increase, or they come, or, or 20 minutes later, 15 minutes later, and then it really is, I'm starting to have difficulty breathing, I'm vomiting more, um, I'm feeling even more unwell. That's when you should give another dose. But for those people that really just have a continuation of their symptoms and not completely resolved, they don't feel great, you can still give a second dose, and those are the ones that maybe you can watch at home. As far as the biphasic reactions, there's been a lot in the literature over recent years that have all reinforced the same thing. We used to think it happened a lot more frequently than it actually does. So if you look at all the studies on biphasic anaphylaxis, and by definition, that's anaphylaxis that resolves completely, but then comes back again as part of a continuation of the same reaction. It can come back hours later, and there's rare, rare, rare reports of it happening 12, 24 hours later. That really only happens less than 5% of the time. So the vast majority of people with any anaphylaxis, regardless of the cause of their symptoms, don't have to worry about that biphasic reaction. But that does tend to get you know, blown out of proportion when people think about um, you know, management of anaphylaxis. So I, that's a lot to kind of unpack, and I'm going to pause there to see if you have follow-up questions. But hopefully that sort of sets the stage for where some of that information comes from. That was really good information, just explaining that reaction and what to do. But again, if I've used my two doses and I'm now observing in this four to six hours, I have no epinephrine right now. So would that be the time that I call my doctor and see if they can call something in? Or do I still go to the ER and ask for a prescription? Like what would be the best scenario? Yeah, I, I think that that's a hard one to, to tell people exactly what to do. And I think um, it goes back to just pre-planning and talking to your doctor. You know, when it comes to anaphylaxis, one thing I've learned over a decade of working with thousands of, of patients with food allergy and allergic conditions is as, as the central element of anaphylaxis is the fear of the unknown and people playing the what-if scenario in their mind. And you can play the what-if scenarios until it drives you insane because there are thousands of them. Um, and until you actually go through it, you don't actually know what it would look like uh, to have these different things. So anxiety is a major component of anaphylaxis. It's a major component of treating anaphylaxis. It's a major component of experiencing anaphylaxis. And we know that a lot of people who have um, perceived respiratory symptoms during anaphylaxis, it's not truly due to things like bronchospasm in the airways or true swelling of the airways, but people naturally have sort of a panic response to it and they start breathing faster. And that by hyperventilating, you start to feel unwell. And that's oftentimes mistaken for actually true respiratory compromise. Now that is a whole other thing that is really difficult to unpack and is highly nuanced. And that is much, much better suited for an individualized conversation with one's personal allergist. But that's one thing that I do is I go through, I unpack all the, the history of what exactly did you experience? What were your actual symptoms? Um, you know, what did it feel like for you? I want you to describe it to me. And we do this as well in the office when we have oral food challenges and people do have reactions. A lot of the times these subjective symptoms of, I feel like I'm having a hard time breathing or I feel sick to my stomach, but I can't see anything with my own eyes, that often just goes away on its own. 
um, through coaching and through some, you know, um, you know, positive reinforcement, things like that. So it's just one example of all the nuances that go, but it, to go back to your question, it's, it is, you asked the perfect question. It's the perfect what if scenario. What if I do this? What if I do this? And then what if this doesn't happen? What do I do then? So you prepare for as much as you can, try to understand risk as much as you can pertaining to your specific situation and then plan ahead. But to answer your question about calling your doctor, while we're all still, you know, hopefully working and available, we also may not be available immediately when you call us. Um, so if you feel that you're not improving, or if you feel that you need to be evaluated, then yes, you should go to the emergency room. Um, I don't think anybody's going to judge you on that or say otherwise. Uh, if you don't know what to do, that's your next step. And that should be always, that should be the default in that situation. And I'm really happy that you brought up the anxiety. My son had to use an EpiPen earlier this year. And that was one of the things he was addressing where he's like, okay, I have hives that are growing, but is this anxiety as well that I'm feeling? And so we did have a big conversation about that, you know, afterwards with his allergist as well. So thank you for bringing that up because that is such a huge element of that. And, and on that level of anxiety, yesterday on social media, I noticed that there was a parent who was in the ER with her child who was having an allergic reaction. And the parent had posted that they were battling themselves, battling against having a panic attack. And mm -hmm. so people were being encouraging and, and helping her and talking her off the ledge, which, you know, as you've seen, a lot of us food allergy parents do this. But what can you say to someone who is in that kind of situation where you've gone to the ER, you're doing the right thing, your child's receiving treatment, everything's going well, but now you are starting to panic a little. What would you say to this person? Take a deep breath. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, that's another sort of misconception with anaphylaxis. And I, I sort of touched upon this. Th there's time. It's not like, you know, you're fine one minute, one second, and then within 10 seconds, you're on the floor collapsed and, and dying. Um, it, it evolves. Uh, it can evolve over seconds to minutes, but you still have time. So take a deep breath. Um, take several deep breaths and try to do your best to objectively assess the situation. What's actually happening right now? So especially if you're already in the emergency room and you know that they're, you know, they're hooked up to a monitor or they're being cared for, if the medical professionals don't look to panic, then you shouldn't be panicked either. Um, that being said, I completely realize how natural it is for all of us as parents to panic in that situation. We don't want to watch our loved ones and our children go through this. Um, so recognize that it's okay to have these feelings. It is okay. I'm not saying don't feel that way. I'm not saying to suppress it. I'm saying to acknowledge it. Take it for what it is um, and then try to try your best. And it's hard to do in the moment, but try your best to uh, take a, an objective viewpoint from what's actually going on. You know, the deep breath, I think that is actually very key because sometimes that's all it is, is I just need to readjust, reground and just get back into the moment and then start the logical thinking. So I um, appreciate that advice. Yeah, I love your use of the word logical thinking. Um, oftentimes our perceptions far are far different from the reality of the situation uh, both in you know planning ahead uh, we often perceive the worst case scenario where the realistic risk is not that uh, and in the moment as well uh, it's natural for all of us to perceive sort of the worst outcome and think things that are worse than they actually are uh, so trying to just sort of think ahead of that um, ahead of time and then in the moment uh, it can be challenging but it's important that is so true so now dr dave you've given us really a nice 
buffet here of information, but is there anything else that you want listeners to know about the new COVID-19 pandemic recommendations or our article suggestions? Yeah, I think kind of what we touched upon, these are just suggestions. And it's not saying that we need to change everything we've ever done in regards to how we manage anaphylaxis. That's not it at all. It is saying give epinephrine early. Use it if you think you need to use it. Use it if you're not sure if you should use it. It's safe. It's effective. It treats anaphylaxis. After we give epinephrine, there absolutely is extreme variability in what comes next both in regards to what happens with your own symptoms as they sort of change over time, both in regards to also, you know, how do we manage this? So as we move forward, both during this pandemic and afterwards, I really think that this is going to help push us all to take a more individualized approach to the way we manage food allergies, allergic conditions, and anaphylaxis. And, you know, some of the things I've seen online in response to this article are very strong emotional responses of saying, I would never do that, or that's not what I was told, and and things along those lines. And the one thing I would say is, that may be fine, that may be your situation, but your individual situation may not pertain to anybody else in this world, even if you have the same food allergies or anaphylaxis or the same epinephrine auto-injector. It's not one size fits all. Dr. Dave, thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing your knowledge, sharing your calm demeanor and logical approaches. We really appreciate it and thank you for being with us today. It's my absolute pleasure, thank you. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes and be sure to connect with us on social media. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.